Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, down there in Decula, Georgia. My good friend and fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It's uh, it's good to be back this week. It was a, uh, a more stressful Saturday than I was planning on having, but uh, it's good to be back. We uh, we will discuss why your Saturday night uh, was quite stressful um, because it is uh, quite interesting and um, there's a lot of different perspectives among both Georgia fans, national media folks, Kirby Smart, and a post game uh, Q and A with uh, Cole. Kublik, uh after the game I thought was interesting. Um, a lot of different ways of uh, couching what is going on with Georgia the last two weeks that I'm curious about because one thing seems to be clear is no one is really 100% certain uh, whether or not it matters or it does not matter. Um, but we'll find out. But we'll, we'll get more into that momentarily, Matt Green. But uh, how was your football watching weekend? Were you able to uh, divvy up your Saturday the way you the way you would have preferred did you catch everything you needed to catch on saturday oh yeah without a doubt man it was a it was a great weekend i felt like just in the 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 full slate of games we had like kentucky and ole miss gave us a good one at noon good three thirty some good 330 games and uh and then obviously a few night ones but uh yeah and then the braves also taking two of the for the first two games of this series hopefully they can they can take the third against the mets so it's a packed sports weekend. It's been good so far. How about yourself? How's how's the bye week? Same. It's nice, man. When you're on a bye week, like yes, I miss having uh, a rooting interest on a Saturday, um, but it was just nice. I was able to just kind of organize my Saturday and had a little window for date night uh, with my wife, uh, going to a new local spot uh, for a couple hours to get away, and then I come back to. Uh, just uh, craziness with Georgia and everything else, and um, yeah, I mean it was it was great. The Braves winning and all of that good stuff. Uh, just being able to do what I want to do, and that was the other thing is like the Braves having an important series the weekend that uh, the balls were off was nice. So I didn't have my attention divided. So um, very true. It was good. I was able. I picked my uh, spots. Remember, we we discuss uh, where we watch and what we choose to watch and. Uh, what games I think are going to be good. Like, oh, I, I had a hunch that Alabama and Arkansas would not be worth your time, and it was not worth anyone's time. But we'll oh, get into this. sir. It was most certainly worth your time. It's a fantastic game. Speaking of, we'll get into our pick because I think uh, I'm going to feel pretty good about where we're at going into week six, but we shall see. Um, Matt Green, there is some really, really big news that uh, dropped Uh today recording this on a sunday late on a sunday a uh, longtime head coach at wisconsin paul christ has been relieved of his duties jim leonard will be taking over uh, as the interim uh, the dc former player as well um, for the remainder of the 2022 season following brett bielema coming into madison as the former badgers head coach and pounding uh wisconsin the way that illinois i mean illinois pounding wisconsin the way that wisconsin has traditionally overpowered everybody with chase brown just 
being maybe the best running back uh, in college football this year and uh, really adopting the style. So I guess for Bielema and the Fighting Illini to rise, Wisconsin had to fall. <laughs> and with that, Graham Mertz, who had another poor outing uh, for the Badgers, they made a change at the top. Um, this is wild because you don't really see this from uh, the Badgers, who are a very successful um, very conservative um, university when it comes to just the way they operate and um, they're just quiet. They do their work. They go 10 and 2, 9 and 3 year over year and handle their business. Uh, and we just kind of take them for granted where the defense is all, has been elite for a really long time and they don't go through coaches like this. They had the Barry Alvarez's of the world, but I mean, BLM. I mean, they thought was going to be there for a long time, and he was there a healthy amount of time. Paul Chris has been there a healthy amount of time. Uh, you can tell from the 80s statement that he did not want to make this move, and it really bothered him. Uh, and I think he, Chris McIntosh was a former Wisconsin player too, uh, who is their AD. So they're very family-focused, like Barry Alvarez, McIntosh, Chris. Um, you go up and down the list. But they made a move where enough was enough, and the offense just can't. They did something that Iowa – is uh, far too intimidated uh, to do at any point uh, with um, the the son of uh, Kirk Ferentz in that Iowa offense and just saying, hey, we, we got to make some changes here. This is this is ridiculous. But what do you what do you make of the Badgers, Matt Green, moving on from Paul Christ, who had a lot a lot of success at Wisconsin over the years? He did have a lot of success, but also not necessarily at the level of like pre like you said with Alvarez and mm. uh and same with Bielema it's like both the, the, like Alvarez retired Bielema took what he thought was a better job like but I mean man that he he, he should have been the coach of, the, of Wisconsin for the last 15 years honestly can we is that what we can we do that like uh, a, a um Bobby Petrino blanking on his name for two seconds mm. is it just a Bobby Petrino situation like Come on, you you want to run this style? Wisconsin's got a Brett Bielema. Just bring him back. It was a mistake he made to go to Arkansas. He should have never left. Just that's the guy you want. He fits Wisconsin football. But I mean, now Bielema's at a good spot. Like Illinois is cooking. Like he's developing a culture, developing the program. And I'm not sure. I mean, it's not like Wisconsin's just raking in five star and four star talent. It's not. They're developing guys, and it's. I mean, I don't. I'm sure the money is uh, a little bit more at Wisconsin than at Illinois, and obviously the fan base at Wisconsin is far more rabid and has much yeah, higher the expect- tradition. Wisconsin has is is nowhere close to Illinois. But can you go like if Bielema keeps building this thing he wants to build and uh, is able to develop these running backs in the way he did uh, back in his Wisconsin days at Illinois with way less expectations, where he's just kind of. Uh, the big man on campus where they're overachieving and they're just playing at a level that they have never played at year over year where you've had the blips, the Ron Zook, Juice Williams blips uh, years and the Kirk Kittners and uh, going way back to Brandon Lloyd's like they've had spotty times of success, but by and large, definitely a basketball school. I don't know. I don't think he would leave for that. I, I think he's building something cool and I feel like your life just is far less stressful because I don't, I'm not certain you can win a title at either school ever. And if you have less expectations at this other school, that's not, I mean, I don't want to offend Wisconsin fans on their 
university. It's just, I don't, I don't think they're as far apart as some people might uh, say those two jobs are outside of money and fan support. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. Like, Wisconsin doesn't seem like just one of these blue blood programs by any means, but mm-hmm. they are, they are, I mean, you go look at the last 20 years, I mean, they are definitely like one of the, the three best teams in the Big Ten. Like, they're, they're, they've been a very consistent program. So, I don't know what I, it's not like it's like a pressure cooker of a job. Like, you don't have to win natties or we're going to kick you out. It's like, we just, we want you to be in the Big Ten championship probably every other year, right? And just give give us an opportunity to, to win a conference championship. I mean, Bielema won at least one or two conference championships, I believe. Um, Alvarez, I'm, I'm sure, won several. But so Wisconsin, it doesn't seem like a, a program that has unrealistic run unrealistic expectations. It doesn't seem like a Nebraska necessarily. And they also haven't been nearly as bad as Nebraska. They, they have like while they might not get like five stars and things like that consistently, they do have like a brand of, of like a, an identity as a program that they do get big time offensive linemen. Like, yeah, they might not be recruited five stars or whatever, but they put linemen in the NFL. They put running backs in the NFL. Like they have an established identity. I mean, is it, is it good enough? Is it better enough than Illinois to like, you know, root up what you're doing and, and go take a program that's not where they want to be right now? You know, that remains to be seen. But I feel like the ceiling of Wisconsin, I think, is definitely higher than Illinois. It's interesting because Jim Leonard now, I think, is going to get a real shot to prove he can just take over and just hire an outside OC that revamps this offense. I mean, his defenses have been top 10 year over year like he has really really developed and uh kept that thing humming on that side of the ball and obviously a former player and well liked maybe a popular hire i'm sure um and the next seven games so they've played five games right the next seven are against unranked teams so wisconsin i mean yes you fire the coach now to get ahead of things a little bit i'm curious though too you mentioned nebraska I wonder which job ends up getting more big time appeal. I wonder which school gets bigger names and is seen as a bigger job um, over the next couple months, because I think that'll be pretty illuminating about where both uh, just both universities are going. I also will throw this out there. There might be a bidding war. Uh, Bruce Feldman threw this out here um, yesterday or this evening. Lance Leipold is from wisconsin lance leipold obviously mm. undefeated at ku um didn't he coach at like one of those small wisconsin schools yeah uh, wisconsin whitewater yeah that makes a bunch of sense that would be yeah. like the slam dunk type hire he comes back to wisconsin if you're gonna pull him after two years at kansas i feel like that's gonna be a bigger pull than nebraska no matter how much money nebraska could potentially throw at leipold but it will be interesting to see if we get a bidding war situation. Who would have thought two years ago you would have told either of these fan bases that they would be in a bidding war to hire away the Kansas football coach? I mean, times change quickly, man. Yeah, for sure. And I think you said the number one thing. It's about the money. There's this perception that Nebraska has a whole lot of money and they can, you know, they're going to throw something at the next coach. And so that's how they're going to land, you know, some name out there, but maybe Wisconsin, like we might be underselling it that, you know, there's this national perception that, Oh, they're, they're down just like them in Iowa. 
oh yeah, they're down just winning nine games every year and uh, going to a New Year's uh, New Year's Day bowl, like you know, and then everything's fine. And so maybe Wisconsin is thinking, sitting here like. We were playing in Rose Bowls with Brett Bielema, with Barry Alvarez. Like, we need to at least be playing in Rose Bowls again. And maybe they, they are a big-time tradition. Like, I, I, it's hard to know when you're ranking the programs, like, top 20 programs. There's, like, so many teams, really, that have maybe better resources, maybe better proximity to where more of the five-star talent is coming than Wisconsin. But if, you, if you're ranking programs just winning percentage success over the last – 20 years or so Wisconsin is right up there top 10 top 15 like they've been a very consistent program so this also doesn't seem like the the huge rebuild that something like Nebraska would be I would agree and then another Midwest school opened up uh, today Carl Durrell uh, who has started 0-5 at Colorado this year he gets ousted um, today as well the DC was ousted first and he came out after um eight and 15 overall all six and nine in pack 12 play as a whole um man this is uh he's getting paid a lot of money i think he yeah from brett mcmurphy he said he will get an 8.7 million dollar buyout by the buffs to leave um i don't know the buffs is weird like we grew up buffs were uh, a great football team obviously i mean go back to the cordell years like they have won at a big time level uh, they've shown they can do that, but you're in the Pac-12. That's a problem. You're not in one of the big conferences, the money conferences. The the facilities are good. The recruiting it is complicated. There's not a lot of big time talent in Colorado. Uh, not a lot of five star, four star guys in that area. So they have to be a little bit diverse and go after the California kids, Texas kids, things like that. Um, I don't know. Like I, I think of the three in the Midwest, I think Colorado is a distant third in uh what that job looks like right now because if you're taking that job you don't really know where colorado is going to be are they going to be in the mountain west in a couple of years are we sure they are in good i don't know like i think colorado that job will be fascinating because like mike mcintyre had that thing humming a little bit a couple of years ago um who's bounced around a lot as dc but i wouldn't say humming but he did have the one good season yeah it was, hey that's humming <laughs> you'll take that any day of the week i don't know what joel clatt's got to do been, yeah without a doubt Joel Klatt's got to step in. Uh, I don't know what more we need to see here. Just hire Joel Klatt and see what happens. No, Joe Joe Klatt would figure out quickly how much better his current job is (laughs) than the Colorado head football coach. Um, Yeah, I think you said the number one thing. With ever since they joined the Pac-12, they've just become like an irrelevant program. Mm -hmm. So now there is no stability on like what conference they're even going to be in in five years. Like they they've. If, if there's a candidate for one of the the odd man out musical chairs person that, that's left out like Colorado I feel like it's definitely up there they're not in California with with Cal and Stanford with UCLA and and USC they're they're not they they left the Big 12 so I don't know there there could even be some some animosity with the current Big 12 schools and when it comes to Colorado as far as bringing them back so yeah they're in a very precarious situation it just there's, there's sometimes, like, yeah, like you said, in the 90s, they were a relevant college football program. There's sometimes that it doesn't, that's just a, a chapter that, that's closed and it's it's not, the door's not going to open back up. And I, like, Wisconsin, like we've said, when it was Wisconsin and Nebraska, Nebraska, you can, you can at least see, you know, the forest through the trees, right? Like, 
they the fans care a lot. Colorado, I mean that that place is is fifty percent full maybe uh, each game. Like it's not a it's not a big stadium. It, it it doesn't have nearly the 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 prestige of either of those other programs. I uh, I would worry about. I have, I have no idea who's going to take this job. This this, this doesn't seem like a, a very good one. Um, quickly, I would get like to get your perspective on this. So we have five Power Five firings to this point: Paul Chris, Wisconsin; Scott Frost, Nebraska; Jeff Collins, Georgia Tech; Carl Durrell, Colorado; and Herm Edwards, Arizona State. A combined sixty plus million dollars in buyout money just from those five. Just dead money going wow. up. Wow, insane. If you had to rank those five jobs off the dome in terms of what is the best job possible for the best candidate, like if you're the, a top candidate, how do you look at those five jobs? How would you do it? One through five. Um, so we're, what was this was again, uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Arizona state, Arizona state, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech and Colorado and Colorado. Um, I think Colorado has got to be at the bottom mm-hmm. and then Georgia Tech is a step up from that. Hmm. Um, even though it's in the Southeast, I just feel like Georgia Tech just has so many challenges on, on what they could be. Um, I think Arizona State, that's that's tough. I feel like a lot of people that kind of talk about Arizona State like they're kind of a, a sitting, uh, a sleeping giant down there in the, in the Southwest. But I would probably put Arizona State third, Nebraska second, and Wisconsin first. I would probably do... I agree with most of that. I would Colorado, I think, is a distant five. I'd probably go one. I think Wisconsin, you could even sell me as a distant one. Um, I would say Wisconsin, one. I'd probably flip Nebraska and Arizona State, mm. though. I think not a sleeping giant. I think people overvalue it, but I do think just the recruiting base and where sports are going and, like, I think you're going to be able to get better coaches <laughs> and players just want to play in that kind of climate like they're just gonna want to play in tempe uh, i think there is an advantage there and we saw it a little bit with herm edwards that they revitalized it a little bit um they've won consistently i think uh the arizona state job is not a sleeping giant but i think i would probably bet on that one being more intriguing for the top candidate than nebraska uh, but nebraska probably right there at three tech i agree is a f- distant four and then colorado is a distant five um it's probably how i look at it and then what uh, What else is going to open up? Auburn? Auburn. And then yeah. Auburn, I think, goes to one. Like, we make jokes I mean, about Auburn, but it's still, when that job opens, that's the best job in college football that's available. Like, probably this cycle. You can win like titles at Auburn. It's like the worst job of all the best jobs yes. in college football, though. So it's it's tough. I, I don't know that it's a better job than Wisconsin because we it, knowing we're going to an expanded playoff, like, who's getting in the playoff more times all, in the next – 10 years wisconsin Mm. or auburn like i have i have confidence in the next 10 years there's going to be several times wisconsin could be the second best team in the big 10 even the third best team in the big 10 and can get potentially get into the playoff like as the 11th ranked team auburn there's a lot of programs in the sec especially oklahoma and texas coming over now like their their schedule isn't getting easier I think the path to the playoff, like they do have more talent and they consistently get more talent than any of those programs, but the path to the playoff is is just so difficult at Auburn. Maybe, but we say that like when they're down and then they get the Cam Newton or they get the Nick Marshall and company and then they're just the best team in college football for one year and it all falls apart. I 
I would still rank Auburn as a significantly better job because Auburn can also just stumble into a top 15 blue chip ratio program. Like it yeah. is just, I, I think it's almost impossible for the money, for the boosters, for the fan support, for the fertile recruiting ground, for Auburn not to just always be a premier top 10, top 15 at absolute worst job in this sport. Yeah, Wisconsin, Nebraska don't have to play Georgia and Alabama every year. But I mean, that's, but that's look the at, thing. But if you look at the future of the Big Ten, I mean, the they benefited from the Big Ten West existing. Wisconsin benefited majorly from Absolutely. that being a thing, and now mushing them together, I uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna see how much of a gap there really is between the Michigans and the Ohio States and the rest of uh, the. And I mean, USC and coming Penn in. Penn State, I think. And Penn, Penn State, State too. Wisconsin, like. I'm sure Penn State has a a, a complex, uh, a, an inferiority Big Ten East complex that they feel like they could probably be the be- best team in the Big Ten West most years. But it is kind of how they definitely have benefited from the from the weaker division Wisconsin has. Um, last thing before we get into our recap, Matt Green, uh, we had um, the new APP, APP, whatever that is, the new AP poll come out, sir. Uh, what jumped out to you about the changes? Because some Georgia fans were a little feisty about dropping one spot. Um, do you agree with the new, the new rankings? One, I will say I agree with the rankings. Mm. But second, I will say, and speaking for the angsty Georgia fans out there, um, I think it, I firmly believe if this if you switched the jerseys that Georgia and Alabama had and Alabama was number one doing what Georgia's done the last couple of weeks, I think Alabama would still be number one. Honestly, hmm. I think there's a bias with Alabama, but just looking at these two teams so far, I mean, I think Georgia, the South Carolina and Oregon wins, while they're impressive, you know, we still don't necessarily know how good South Carolina is. So I think... I would say I'd have to say just because of the way they dismantled Oregon, that still feels like the most impressive win between these two teams. But Alabama's got at Arkansas and at Texas, even though they didn't look good versus Texas. I think those wins that kind of that trumps Georgia, uh, Georgia's resume to this point. So I mean, especially with the way they they messed around with Missouri this past week, I think I don't really have a problem with with saying Alabama's number one. Um, this was a pretty wild stat from Ben Stevens. Uh, he said, quote on Twitter, it's been 26 years since Kansas and Syracuse were ranked in the same AP poll. And they are both wow. ranked in this new one. Pretty wild. I don't know who had before the year that Kansas and Syracuse would both find their way in there, but, um, Oh man, I wish I had it, the stat right in front of me, but you saw how many ranked teams lost this weekend, right? Like it was like, a lot. 7, 10, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 8, like every single team just about in the teens lost. Like mm. there's, what is it, seven new teams that weren't ranked last week that are now ranked this week. Like I've never seen that sort of change in just one week of the polls. Because it was TCU, UCLA, Kansas, LSU, Cincy, Miss State, Syracuse. Is that seven? Um, That's seven, right? Yeah, I think you counted all in. All the seven, Baylor, A&M, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Minnesota, Florida State, Pittsburgh. All of those dropped out of the top 25. I will say UT staying at eight and Oklahoma State hopping them to seven. 
I mean, it's just nitpicking. I mean, I, I didn't really like that. I think Tennessee should have just moved up to seven and where UK was, and uh, Oklahoma State should have been at, at eight. Because I think you could also make the case that Ole Miss is probably better than Oklahoma State. But does the I, Pittsburgh loss to Georgia Tech that does that is that what kept Tennessee down? Now Pittsburgh doesn't look quite as good of a team. Well, we'll um, get to that. Oklahoma one. State beating Baylor. I mean, that's a that's a big that's a big time win. So I don't I don't have much problem with that. It's also going to be decided. Nice to see LSU sneak into the top twenty-five, so we can get a t- LS- Tennessee at LSU be a nice ranked matchup. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of change this week. It's it's really interesting. Ole Miss, yeah, we'll get to it. But I, it was a it was an exciting week. Uh, the only thing, and we'll we'll move to our pick 'em now uh, recap show. Is I would probably like you mentioned like the top half. I would not. I would probably put Ohio State at one. At this point, I think Ohio State showed the most, like especially even with just out without Jackson Smith and Jigba, and just putting on an absolute clinic. They just blow the doors off Rutgers this weekend at home, and people can yada yada it. But by and large, they're the only ones with no real stink bombs uh, to this point in the top three. Like Alabama and Georgia both struggle a little bit, and I'm sure SEC fans will throw, "Oh, who's Ohio State playing?" Blah blah blah. It's like, well, I mean, Georgia struggled with the bad Kent State team and a bad it relative to the talent relative to who they're up against and Bama struggling um to close out Arkansas in the second half and Bama looking beatable against Texas like I think the only clean of those three who we've before the year identified as the three head and shoulders best rosters and best chance to win the college ball playoff I would probably put right now I would go one Ohio State two Georgia three Alabama is probably how I would have done it to this point yeah, and I couldn't necessarily disagree with that. And I think I think a lot of people had Georgia at three because Georgia had more first place votes than Alabama mm-hmm. in the AP, but Alabama still jumped them for one. So I think that's probably the case is that Ohio State was getting a lot of those, or Alabama's getting at lowest number two votes. So um, yeah, I think it's uh, it'll all it all work itself out. So we'll uh, it's nice to it's nice to see TCU jumping in in there seeing kansas some new faces but uh yeah it'll all it'll all work itself out everyone gets excited at four and oh five and oh but we'll we'll see what happens well matt green it's my favorite time of these weekly shows this season where i think i can just do my happy dance around the podcast studio here in knoxville tennessee if my math is correct the lead has widened for team chase over team matt this college football season am i correct here uh you would be correct about that sir it was um like we said a lot of disagreements on the pod this this past (laughs) week so it was going to be a a real crossroads week for us so um to recap you went seven and four overall this week uh, Mm. to my four and seven not not great uh, then you went six and five against the spread, and um, I did even worse, three and eight against the spread. So, uh, on the season, you are now at five hundred against the spread, twenty-eight, twenty-eight and two, forty-one and seventeen overall. Really killing it so far this year. I do still have a winning record overall, thirty-four and twenty-four, but against the spread, just twenty-five, thirty-one and two. So what is that? You have a three-game lead against the spread and a seven-game lead overall through uh, through five weeks of the season. Zeus is home dog of the week. The Arkansas Razorbacks 
They let him down. They made things interesting, but they let him down. He did also pick TCU as a home dog, but that was not his official home dog of the week, so we can't count it. So, um, yeah, Arkansas uh, let us down. It was, it was an interesting one for three quarters until, uh, until Alabama really put it on him. Zeus needs to just stick with his gut. Like he needs to stick. He was he was all in on Max Duggan. He thought it was Max Doggo. He just he was a little confused and thought he was pro dog. And they had a dog in the backfield uh, for the Horn Frogs. And you should have you should have rode that rode that uh, ride because now I believe that puts Zeus back under five hundred uh, on the that season. That's true. Two and three on the season. Rough rough sledding. Uh, Matt Green. No pun intended exactly first up let's it's not on our roster as i wanted to this game we didn't think uh would be worthy of a pick'em slate making the pick'em slate the dogs 17 nothing down against the missouri tigers they have to battle back twitter is in shambles waiting there is now we can confirm though there is a subset of folks not even it's mostly not Georgia fans from what I could tell who are ready to stomp all over Stetson Bennett, like any kind of issue uh, with Stetson. They are waiting in the wings where it's like, Oh, Is when, that right? uh, yes. If I you didn't looked hear up any St- Stetson talk really, I mean, he wasn't great, but I, I didn't think the quarterback was at all the problem in the, in the first half of this game. Well, what I'm saying is like, you just type in Stetson Bennett on Twitter Saturday night and seeing what the top Stetson Bennett comments were. And people were mm. losing it on Stetson Bennett. And one comment was something like, if Stetson, this is what happens when the tight ends are finally covered for Georgia and they have to utilize their wide receivers or Stetson has to do something else other than Brock Bowers or Washington and stuff like that. But as someone who watched the entirety of this football game and that Georgia has now gone back-to-back weeks of hanging around and just kind of slogging through to inferior teams. And look, Kirby set up the game. Every SEC game is hard. This is not true when you're Georgia or Alabama. This is uh, Nick Saban is not sweating uh, Vanderbilt week over week. He is not sweating a lot of his competition. It's silly. You can't say that out loud. I get it. But when you're Georgia, and especially what Georgia is, where they could literally go three straight years without uh, losing a regular season game, um, I get what he's saying to keep his guys upbeat and like understand you have to play week over week. Um, but like I said, as someone who has watched these last two weeks and especially this week on the road at Mizzou, what are you thinking in terms of where Georgia is at as a football team at this point in the year? And do you think there's actually troubling signs that uh, Georgia fans should be wary of? I think the biggest thing to be worried about for Georgia is their red zone offense. I think that's where that's really because I don't really include last week. Like, yeah, they only beat a Kent State by 17, but that game was like never in question. Like it was never less than a two score lead in the second half. Like you expect Georgia to beat that team by at least four touchdowns. So, you know, but they, they had some turnovers in the red zone, that sort of thing gave the team short field position. So I don't necessarily include last week it wasn't a good performance but this was a game that was actually in question the entire mm. way like i mean you got into the fourth quarter and you're like is georgia really gonna lose this game it had the feelings of of south carolina 2019 like 
Mm. We're really just going to mess around, just not score any touchdowns. Not like, is that what we're going to do? Other than the fact that the South Carolina game, I think they had more turnovers. I think there was three or four turnovers in that game. So I think Georgia out had like four. They outgained South Carolina by like 300 yards or something that game, but just kept turning it over. Um, in this one, Georgia. so Georgia actually didn't punt after the first quarter in this game. They mm. scored on six straight drives on six straight drives until the very last drive of the game where they, where they just ran the clock out all six of those drives, they got into the red zone, four of them, the first four all ended in field goals. And the last two, Georgia finally punched them into the end zone. But like, that's four, it's four times driving all the way down the field and, and getting 12 points out of it. So I feel like that's where Georgia should be the most concerned is the red zone offense. I feel like this defense now, like now in week five is looking how honestly we kind of expected them to look in 2022. Hmm. Like, I think they're a very good defense, but they just, they're not a game changing defense. Like the 2021 it's, it was going to be very difficult to repeat how good that team was losing six first round picks on one side of the ball. Like it's just, it's absurd. So I think now it's looking more like we kind of expected them to look like, okay, maybe they're not just just as good as they were last year, but I still expect them to be very good. I'm, the turnovers, this is another one, like two turnovers, like one of them was forced. Uh, guy ripped the ball out of Kendall Milton's hand, but mm-hmm. the one of them was just a completely unforced error on the, on the handoff. I don't know if it was Stetson's fault or the running back's fault, but you just leave the ball there and – you know, you just can't do stuff like that and just beat yourself. So I think it's definitely the way this offense looked for for half the game. It was just they were moving the ball, but yeah, it was just I would I would blame more than Stetson. I would blame the offensive line in the first half of this game. I think oh, I almost <laughs> knocked my helmet off. Real microcosm of what's going on here with the. Uh, with the Georgia Bulldogs. I was going to say, that is the most Georgia thing. Like, the Georgia <laughs> stuff just keeps happening this weekend. Um, So, in the first half, Georgia had... Where am I at? Seven, seven drives in the first half and 172 yards, like, total. Like, just did just did very little they couldn't run the ball hardly at all 11 for 32 on the ground and in the second half you actually saw them breaking at runs Dejon edwards looked better um kendall milton like at the end of the game i think all the running back stats look solid but mm. i don't really think it's indicative of how much georgia really struggled to run the ball for two quarters so yeah i think it's definitely uh something to worry about i think it's good that you know these first couple sec games you got out at south carolina and at missouri i think it you know this shouldn't be some of the tougher games on your schedule as far as the sec play goes but uh yeah you got auburn coming in next week i think there there's definitely reason to to be a little worried about where this team's at right now what do you think they clean up first do you think it's the running game the offensive line the red zone stuff which do you think actually lingers of the things that you just outlined that concerns you what do you think lingers the rest of the year um, it's hard to say because I feel like this offensive line should be very good. So mm. it seems like it's the University of Georgia, right? They should eventually figure out how to run the ball. Like that's that's what they do so well. So you you tend to to not think of to not worry too much about the running game, even though you know through five games it has not been 
you know, what, what Georgia fans are used to. I think the red zone, the red zone offense, I think is, is my biggest concern because I think that's where people have kind of the most criticisms of Stetson is when mm-hmm. he's, he's playing kind of that, that short field, that kind of seven on seven game. Can, can he beat teams in that way? Um, because if they're not able to run the ball, they're going to have to pass in the red zone. So I think, you know, hopefully uh, they see an improvement versus Auburn next week, or that could be, that could be a real point of concern. Interesting. Uh, Matt Green, we get into our Pick'em preview, or Pick'em recap, excuse me, Pick'em preview in a couple days. Um, we'll start with uh, Clemson and NC State. I had the Tigers, who has still maintained the longest home win streak, uh, I believe in college football, FBS, as a whole. Uh, it was rocking. 37 games, I think, now. Something wild like that. Um, Dabo was happy. There is something just um, something I pointed out um, this evening was just when I was uh, I, I saw it back was the the entrance. The Clemson entrance really is maybe the coolest entrance of any college football program. I think I might be on that uh, at that point where I think I would acknowledge the Clemson intro and walk down and touch the rock and everything is the I coolest. Have a, I have a I have a grinds my gears about this, though. OK, I'm ready. It's it's an iconic entrance, right? It's very cool. Mm-hmm. My beef is it's a chicken or the egg type thing. Mm-hmm. ABC, ESPN isn't showing the entire entrance for every team. So mm-hmm. it kind of becomes like a self-fulfilling thing. Like, this is a really cool entrance, so we put it on TV. Like, there's other teams that are also doing really cool entrances, but they don't show everyone's interest for like four straight <laughs> minutes like they do. Mm-hmm. Like, they show them loading the bus driving around the stadium past everybody then coming out mm-hmm. touching the rock and uh, run down the hill everything i wish we would get that production for like every team's entrance mm. and then it's like we could kind of all decide like like we see the virginia tech one sometimes because like we all know about the inner sandman and that one's really cool mm-hmm. but every you know everybody it's a big deal for everybody to run out onto the field like everyone makes a big presentation of it you know like i've seen university of florida it's like whole montage on the screen like welcome to the swamp only the gators get out alive that sort of thing it's like everyone's doing cool stuff i wish these broadcasts would show every team and not just like the the three or four the handful that that we kind of all know about that's fair however it's still cool it I is still cool, for like sure. there's just no we can nitpick it, but I think it's uh, undoubtedly a cool thing. Um, NC State misses another big opportunity to really cement themselves as a key player. And this was something I was concerned about where, man, if the scheduling, sometimes there's just so much luck involved in scheduling and you don't know how teams are going to be year over year. But you're like, if you can get it back, you're like, man, this NC State team's better than they were last year. And they were a good team. But you're like, I wish we could have flipped it. I would have given the Clemson loss back if you're a Wolfpack fan last year, the victory rather, and gotten Clemson at home this year. I think that would have been um, extremely important for this team because I think they're still a top 15-ish program. And I think you give them this one, you look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, this could have been a really, really special year for the Wolfpack, but they still had to go where teams just cannot win. Teams cannot win. And I will say one caveat here. The neutral side game against Georgia uh, definitely played a role here because I think even if you play that at Clemson, do you think Georgia doesn't win that game last year against Clemson in Death Valley? I don't know. We'll never know. What do you mean? 
Well, it was in a neutral side. It was in Charlotte. So part of that home win streak is like when you play the best competition oh. you've played uh, on in a neutral side in the regular season. Like it, that that's a nice thing. Um, yeah, and they can still hope for some sort of maybe three way tie and try to get in it. But most likely, you, you need Clemson to lose two games now, and that's that's probably not going to happen. No. Um, KJ Henry said uh, Clemson would not have any red solo cups or cigars after the win. Uh, he said, quote, and I think I got this from ESPN, where he said, quote, there won't be any smoking cigars or drinking out of red solo cups tonight. It's just water bottles and getting ready for the next one. That is all we are worried about. So their, their heads, and also the other impressive thing, uh, no uh, Basie, uh, BC, I always forget how to pronounce his name. Brissy, I believe. Brissy, yeah. He was out for this game. So um, doing that without arguably their best player was pretty big, but also... DJ Uangale has really been fine, and he has 15 big-time throws per PFF through five weeks, which is impressive. Um, I was going through his just uh, passing stats and things of that nature on PFF, and, I mean, he ran the ball extremely well uh, in this game too, but 65% completion percentage, 1,200 yards, 7.8 yards per attempt, 11 TDs, one pick. I mean, he's been good enough. Like, DJ has been good enough, and he's – I think going to be the guy the rest of the way. I think this was a big game for him and he really needed to show out. And I think DJ passed, uh, passed a lot of tests on, uh, on Saturday. What did, what did you make of this game? Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway that I think this is the guy that we, you know, he's still not the Heisman caliber player that maybe we thought he was, but we were at least expecting this type of player. Like every quarterback Clemson has had is given this element of running in their in their game it's been part mm. of the offense so i feel like now that you've seen him a few weeks in a row actually be a part of their running attack the offense is just so much more dangerous he he looks more comfortable as a passer now that he's able to do something on the ground like it just it feels like maybe if you're not you know throwing for touchdowns you're still having an impact on the game like i i think i was very impressed with uyunglele in this game um I feel like NC State's defense, like this was the difference between NC State and Wake Forest, that they were able to get stops. But, you know, as good as Devin Leary is, the running game could not do anything. And, you know, Leary, I feel like, was just under pressure this entire game. They're just, you know, there wasn't really much NC State could really do offensively. So it was the defense was good enough to keep him in the game. I felt like it was going to take like 30, I think 31-28 was the, the score I kind of had in my head for uh, for this game. Mm. Um, it was going to take about 30 points to win this game. And obviously Clemson scored exactly 30 points. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big time win for Clemson for sure. And I guess that's, that speaks to whoever KJ Henry's quote of like, this would have been a monumental win for NC State, for Clemson. This is just another w and on our way to hopefully getting back to the playoff yeah the the path is quite uh is is opening up quite a bit the acc uh just i mean it's mostly if you look at the disparity between the two divisions uh that we are very familiar of uh the two divisions in the atlantic coast conference that uh, of course uh looks like it's going to be a pretty pretty easy rest of the way I mean, the Atlantic right now, like, it looks like maybe the five best teams in the whole conference are all in the Atlantic. So it's, so there is some hope for NC State that, you know, maybe Florida State could, could hop, but obviously they've already beat, Clemson's already beaten NC State and Wake Forest now, but 
I don't think any of us are thinking Syracuse is going to come in there and, and knock off Clemson. But, you know, there's some hope that, yeah, maybe someone in the ACC can, can shake things up. But it's starting to look like Clemson. I, I thought this was the toughest game on their schedule. So they do go at Notre Dame but and at Florida State. But I feel like NC State was the best team on this schedule. So Clemson's chances of going undefeated, I think, uh, went way up after this weekend. Washington. Uh, goes down uh, the undefeated Washington Huskies go down to the still undefeated UCLA Bruins who moved to five and zero on the season. Matt Green, you talked yourself out of one of your standbys. You I every know. week you love the Friday night, just what that does, and you love a home dog on a Friday night game. It's your upset special, and yet here I was on an island on Friday night, watched this whole game, expecting a UCLA Bruin upset. UCLA does the job. DTR pulls a uh, Michael Vick in this game where the two, did you see this? The two University of Washington Huskies collide into each other as he uh, scored a touchdown. Um, He pulled that one. DTR was excellent. Michael Penix was also excellent uh, in this one. Andre Ware kept citing that Michael Penix was his Heisman if he was voting today. And it's like, I mean, all right. I mean, we, we like Michael Penix, but like Washington's not. No, that's not happening. All right. Um, But this was a fun one, and the Huskies do it uh, in a fun way, or the Bruins, rather, do it in a fun way, where Bobo is this transfer, uh, this slot guy transfer from Duke who led the ACC in receptions last year, and he is a madman. He is so good in this Chip Kelly offense, uh, filling the Riley Cooper uh, role from Philadelphia back in the day and like Jordan Matthews uh, a little bit too um, but you know he was he was really good and I was really impressed by what he was able to do against this Husky defense which is still uh, a very good defense but um, something that I thought was interesting is the Bruins defense looks much improved I like uh, where they're at compared to last year and Washington's just a little too one-dimensional for me or 2.8 yards per carry they had a touchdown drive uh, or basically went a whole drive. I don't remember if it ended in a touchdown or a field goal in the first quarter where they didn't run the ball once and they found some success there. But um, I don't know. I think they're just a little too one dimensional, the 2.8 yards per carry. And Michael Penix has to do a lot. I'm nervous about him just staying healthy playing this way for the full season. But UW's a good team, top 25 team, just UCLA at home on a Friday night. It's spoopy season. You know this, Matt Green, and you you still went away. The weekday road game. I'm ashamed of myself. It's a uh, it's a hard win to get. And also, I mean, UCLA, or I should say Washington lost by eight. This game was not nearly that no. close. Like, they obviously did. They did make it close, technically, late in this game. But uh, right at the end of the third, UCLA up 30, uh, 40 to 16. Like, this, this offense was just firing on all cylinders. Um, Zach Charbonnet, is he the most underrated running back in college football? Like, this guy had 1,100 yards, 13 touchdowns last year. He's already off to a big-time start uh, in 2022. Um, th- I mean, this gives this – he gives this offense just that element of the run game. Like, if DTR is playing this way and Zach Charbonnet is running like this, this, this is one of the best teams in the Pac-12. So – I think we talked about, um, I said on our last show, like UCLA was kind of like the Ole Miss of the Pac-12 to me. I didn't know. They were 4-0 and versus a bunch of garbage teams. They have looked good, but it was hard to know really how how much to to value that, that 4-0 start. But 
I would say what they did for the first three quarters to Washington absolutely blew the brakes off of them. So, yeah, I was pretty impressed with what with what I saw from UCLA this weekend. Um, next up, TCU. You were right on the money with this one. I stuck around with Oklahoma a little too long here. It looks like the Sooners get blown out again, uh, this time on the road in Horn Frog country. Max Duggan just puts on a clinic in this one, Ted Roof. I mean, we should also mention there was an extremely dirty hit in this one that knocked Dylan Gabriel out of the game. A linebacker comes flying in super late, saw uh, Gabriel slid and just could have written, obviously not Gabriel, out of the game. And he got a targeting call for that one and was tossed, and uh, rightfully so. It was uh, it was rough uh, for Gabriel and company, but OU... They have a Ted Roof problem, Matt Green. Brent Venables brings in Ted Roof, and Ty Hildenbrandt of the Solid Verbal has been on this for a while, dating back to when Ted Roof was uh, the DC for Notre Dame years ago. But wherever he goes, Georgia Tech, um, you go up and down the list of Ted Roof stops. It's just a leaky defense. It doesn't uh, doesn't go well. You don't want him in the in the room a little bit. Uh, it's basically where we're at. And no no offense to Ted Roof personally. It's just. <laughs> The defenses are not good, and we should have seen this coming a little bit with Ted Roof uh, being brought in. So I, I wonder if his days are numbered uh, in um, in Oklahoma country. But Max Duggan deserves all the praise here. He was the story. 302 passing yards, 3 TDs, 116 rushing yards, 2 TDs. Now, out of um, all FBS, 131 programs, Max Duggan is first in passer rating and first in yards her attempt and the guy wasn't even supposed to start this year and was backing up Chandler Morris and Morris gets hurt and the rest is history what did you make of the Horn Frogs pulling the upset over the uh Oklahoma Sooners Matt Green yes sir history repeated itself back in uh back in 2020 when when Oklahoma opened the season to losing to Kansas State in Big 12 play, and they uh, dropped to 0-2 on their way to uh, to the Red River shootout. So, yeah, I feel like TCU, they just, I mean, they just did everything they wanted to offensively. Like, almost 700 yards of offense in this game, 360 on the ground. Like, they were just absolutely torching this Oklahoma defense. Max Duggan, that was my helmet sticker uh, for the week. You mentioned everything he did. 300 yards through the air, over 100 uh, on the ground, five total touchdowns. Like, what was this, 41-17 at the half? 27 in the first quarter? Like, they just, they could not be stopped. Like, and Venables, like, I saw a funny meme, like, uh, on Saturday, someone saying, I, th- I guess Oklahoma should have gone the, the defensive coach route uh, after uh, Venables got absolutely, this Oklahoma defense got absolutely torched. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, Ven- I think Will Venables, Will Venables, Brett Brent son? Venables, I think that's a, who is it? That's a Padres player, Will Venable. Back oh, in, he was like, an outfielder. I know ago. what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brent Venables. Um I think he had the most unfortunate position of every year one head coach hmm. because like Dan Lanning, like he got walked into a pretty good situation in Oregon, like where their coach left. He didn't, he didn't it's like, this is a rebuild where the guy got fired. Like we know about obviously Miami and Cristobal there's, there's been all, there's new coaches all over the country, but none of the other coaches did the head coach 
take like 20 of the the best players on the team and also the the best recruits that were committed like it's it, so he has this perception of like Oklahoma isn't a rebuild we, we've we're, we're competing for the Big 12 every year. You can just come in and just keep things going. But this actually was more of a rebuild than I think many of us gave it credit for in the in the uh, in the off season. So mm-hmm. yeah, for them to start 0 and 2 and now have the uh, the Red River Shootout potential to start 0 and 3 in conference. That's uh, not not how you want to start things off as the Oklahoma head coach. Where would you put them right now? I would even have them behind Texas, and I think the Vegas odds do too. I mean, I think Texas is favored uh, out of the gate for the Red River Shootout uh, going into this well, week. Well, they talked about Ewers being back this past week, but well, he's definitely now, coming back for Oklahoma. It looks like I think he's. I think he is. So I think that really changes things. I think the ceiling of this Texas team seems a lot different with with Ewers in. So, I mean, early, I don't know what the line is, but I'm definitely feeling Texas so far. Well. My thing is, if you had to do one through whatever, I mean, right now, the teams that I think are better, and who would have had this before the season? The teams that I think right now are better than Oklahoma in the conference. Texas, Kansas State, TCU, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Baylor. I don't know if I would say Kansas definitively right now, but I would I would agree with you on all those others. Who had that before the year? Pretty wild. Pretty, yeah, pretty that, that Was that five teams you named? Yeah. Six teams? I think it was yeah, five. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's wild. And it's early. They, they still – everybody plays everybody in the, in the Big 12. So th- that's where they are right now after two games. It could get worse. Speaking of things getting worse, uh, the U.K. day for the Wildcats uh, on the road in – Oxford, where the Ole Miss Rebels stayed undefeated. They the two programs were 15 and three in their last 18 games. Something had to give. The Wildcats two turnovers in the red zone late in this one. Multiple opportunities. Will Levis um, just not not putting on the show that everyone. It's just everyone's waiting for the theoretical Will Levis is the number one overall pick uh, game, and it's just for me. I don't think it's ever coming. I, I just, I'm not a Will Levis guy. Uh, I'm not a Spencer Rattler guy. I'm more of a Hendon Hooker, Stetson Bennett kind of guy <laughs> on this podcast. I like uh, results and not the theoret- theoretical uh, version of what a quarterback can be. I mean, you see the physical stuff, but um, he he struggled, man. And he had a really bad fumble. Like you said, we were texting back and forth where, I mean, you have the touchdown fade and he just did not wait uh, for his guys to get set and that cost him the game really because the next play yeah. obviously fumbles but that still falls on will levis like that is will levis's job and i think mark stoops was in his face about it where it's like you cannot do little things like that and there's just something not all the way there that just i i'm not a will levis believer there's just something missing and i think old mr serves a lot of credit uh they got after uh, the quarterback really only sending three and four guys. They had eight deep uh, a lot of this game. They were making Will Levis pick them apart. Chris Rodriguez was back for this one, so that really helped. Uh, but the offensive line being really bad, I think, is a problem for the for the Wildcats, which is something to monitor throughout the rest of this year, is that I don't see the path um, to that getting better based on their roster. So if Kentucky can't block, like, good luck against Georgia and Tennessee uh, in the coming weeks. But I... Uh, 
I don't know. I think Ole Miss impressed me. Jackson Dart's still shaky. I'm not a big Jackson Dart guy either after this week, but Ole Miss can run the football. And they were running right at Mark Stoops, like right in the middle. Like uh, I think his name's Judkins, uh, the backup for Zachary Evans, who really outperformed Evans in this one. But it's a good two-headed monster, and he was bursting through the middle of this vaunted Kentucky defense. And I don't know. I think Ole Miss deserves a lot of credit um, for winning this game. And uh, Lane Kevin just doing an, an insane job uh, with Ole Miss. What did you make of this game? I think if I was a Kentucky fan, well, let me let me start off this. I, I think we need a new segment on on the pod here. I, mm-hmm. I can like throw a flag, like a, a uni <laughs> a uni watch flag or something. Mm. One of the worst uniform games I've ever seen in my time. We had Kentucky wearing white, white, white. Mm. And Ole Miss wearing white, powder blue and white? What is this? This should have been a game where Ole Miss is rocking the red jersey. All, all Kentucky has is, is blue and white. So mm-hmm. half the SEC West is burgundy. You can wear the powder blues against them. Like, mm-hmm. So that, that's all. That's the first thing I'll say. Terrible uniform. Terrible time. I, I didn't mind the Ole Miss powder blues. I thought they were straight. But terrible time to bust them out against Kentucky rocking all white. So that's the first thing I'll say about this. If I was a Kentucky fan, I will feel I, I would feel like we we blew this game. Like from the was it two extra points, a missed field goal, two extra points that they uh, they one was blocked, one was they fumbled the snap, just left essentially like four points just on the board. And I think on top of just at the very end of the game turning the ball over the way they did, I um I thought Chris Rodriguez made a huge difference for this Kentucky offense. And that is telling you how terrible this rushing game has been for them. Like Mm -hmm. Kentucky is just built on defense and running the football. And you could see, like, I don't have the yards after contact in front of me. Chris Rodriguez was 19 for 72. I bet you he had 80 yards after contact. Like he, he was working for everything he did. I feel like his individual, just performance allowed Kentucky to have something in the running game, but you're right. This offensive line was getting absolutely blown up. They were ended up 37 carries for 108 yards, 2.9 yards a carry. Like from what, for what their identity is, that's not going to work. And it was big to get Rodriguez back, but even so, like they still were, they still have a lot of work to do, but I, I feel like with the, with the opportunities that you left just in the kicking game, I would just I would feel like a Kentucky fan, like like we blew this game. Brown's a really good player, though. Uh, he's not Wendell Robinson, but he should have had a kick return touchdown in this one. Yeah, tripped over his own guy. Like he's a star. I felt like he was gonna take every kick he had back to the house. Honestly, why are you yeah. still kicking at him? Like yeah, him. seriously. He was. And he had, he's what, a player. He had two catches for eighty-one as well. Like both yeah, screens. He was by a the big way. play. He was a big play waiting to happen. It's like one of those things with Kyle Pitts where you're like when they had flo- like with Florida and Damon and it was just wheel route, wheel route, Kyle Pitts, wheel route. And you get bored, but no one could stop it. So you're just going to call another Kyle Pitts wheel route. I don't understand why uh, Brown doesn't get 10 screen passes a game. Like, I, I don't know why they're not doing that more often because I just the dude's a player and he is really, really hard to bring down. Um, next up, Matt Green, uh, we had Purdue upsetting Minnesota on the road. Tanner Morgan has his first bad game of the season. No Mo Ibrahim in this one, nursing an ankle injury. Three picks for Morgan, who was the most efficient quarterback through four weeks of the college football season. Um, just 
47 yards, 26 attempts. That was uh, the story. No Mo to balance out this uh, go for offense. They just put too much on Tanner Morgan's plate, kind of like what happened last year, <laughs> I think, a little bit. So we saw the Minnesota from a season ago pop up and the Tanner Morgan from a season ago. Um, and Purdue, Aiden O'Connell played in this one. And Purdue gets a huge win. They love, love not living up to expectations when people are like, oh, could Purdue start off 6-0? and Could they be the sleepy dark horse? They're never going to be that, but they're always just going to beat a ranked good Big Ten team, at least one of them, maybe two, every single year when they go 8-4 and four or 9-3, and three, whatever it is. Jeff Brom still is going to go to Iowa. He's going to go to Ohio State. He's going to go somewhere, and he's just going to upend these seasons. So that's well, what he let's, does. Let's be fair. Right now they've lost – by what by four to Penn State mm-hmm. and they've lost by three at Syracuse. That's not looking like a bad loss right now. I think this this could be the best team in the Big Ten West. We talked about them, you know, coming into the year. I think Minnesota was the especially it was at Minnesota, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Minnesota was at home, I believe. Correct. It was homecoming for them. Yeah. So this definitely seemed like a loss uh, that we were counting on their schedule, but. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a big time win. And we talked about their schedule, like from this point on, like Nebraska's fired their coach, Wisconsin's fired their coach. The only other team they, they play from the East is Indiana the rest of the way. Like this team, they could run the table the rest of the way. And like, but it is Purdue. So like you're saying, they probably will drop one, uh, at some point. But, but yeah, I thought this was, um, this is not what I was expecting from Minnesota also in this game. I'm, I have another petition here. Can we can we add wide receivers, an interception column for wide receivers? Like, mm. did you see this the one in this game? Um, Tanner Morgan just, I don't know, they were like the 15-yard line, just wide open in the middle of the end zone, hits a guy right in his hands, bounces off his hands, Purdue picks it in the end zone. Just an absolute just 14-point uh, swing right there for, for Minnesota. But... It's like the quarterback didn't throw an interception, right? Like the receiver had an interception on this play. That's that's the other uh, that's my other rant for the day. But um, yeah, I thought uh, I was I was surprised by this. I've been impressed by Minnesota early on, and um, yeah, got to give it up to Purdue for for shutting them, holding them to just ten points on this one. You know who Ohio State does not want at all in the Big Ten title game? It's a Purdue coming out of the Big Ten West. They want no part of uh they can handle minnesota iowa whoever wisconsin if they had to pick and choose i think purdue would be the last pick uh for who they'd actually want to see uh in a big 10 title game i Um, mean they are a more dangerous offense than those mm -hmm. than those teams but i don't think ohio state's worried about any i think they're worried about the big 10 east way more than they are anyone who's coming out of the west that's fair um k-state your Kansas State Wildcats, I departed from the Kansas State uh, hype train. I have to be consistent. I have to stick to the decisions that I made. Matt Green, as a married man, I have to be faithful to not only my <laughs> wife, but also my college football opinions. And when I left the Kansas State Wildcat bandwagon, that was it. And unfortunately, well, honestly, the little apple should be sending me all the K-State love, merch, whatever, for my dismissal of Kansas State has fueled the Wildcats to an unreal run with Adrian Martinez, who I remember before the season, Matt Green, 
had K-State in the Big 12 title game against Name Redacted. And look, Kansas State piling it on here now with another big win over Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech made it close late, but and they're a good team, and they showed a lot uh, in this one. But Adrian Martinez, seven rushing touchdowns in the last two weeks. Can the man be stopped, Matt Green? No, he cannot, <laughs> apparently. Uh, him and Deuce Vaughn both went for 170 yards on the ground. Um, Deuce Vaughn also, I don't know if you saw it, one of the nastiest jukes you'll see uh, mm-hmm. in this game. Um, I don't know who posted on Twitter, but a pretty sick play he had. But, yeah, Kansas State uh, just forcing a bunch of turnovers. I think that was the difference in this one. I think Texas Tech turned it over four times. You're just you're not going to win many football games where you turn the ball over that much. So, yeah, Kansas State, they're uh, the Big 12. It's a lot of fun this year. I think this is a taste of what it's going to be like um, after Oklahoma and Texas leave where we're just going to have no idea week in, week out who the best team is in this conference. Um, next up, we know this team might be the best team in the conference, and I'm going to maintain this one. Oregon State goes down 41-17 to the Utah Utes. Utah blows out, uh, the Beavs, uh, in this one. So they get revenge from their, I think, this was their only Pac-12 loss last year, right? For Utah was losing to Oregon State, if I seem to recall. I think you're right about that. So Utah very quiet they just go about their business that's all i can really say about oregon like uh, utah where they're just an efficient machine cam rising stats don't really pop he ran for like almost i think he ran for 100 in this one um a little bit through the air he doesn't really turn the ball over he's just solid they know exactly who they are utah is just going to do this week over week um the loss of florida look tough road environment whatever things got weird late um that was too loud they want to be more quiet yeah that was too that was too marquee of a game Oregon State suffered its second straight loss, but they still had 21 first downs in this one, 417 yards. Like, Jonathan Smith is still doing the Lord's work over there in Corvallis, and they were down to their third-string quarterback at one point in this game uh, with no one going down to injury the next thing. But I don't know. Beavs are still a good team, but I think uh, Utah – I cannot wait for the Utah-USC game because I think we can go ahead and – I mean, look, I don't want to piss off USC fans, but – my instincts tell me USC's got some trouble ahead with both the Ducks, mm. who are really figuring some stuff out, but mostly the Utah Utes, uh, who I think are head and shoulders the best team in the Pac-12. And that will be fulfilled. The prophecy will be fulfilled uh, <laughs> in due time, Matt Green. What did you make of this? Um, for the second straight week, Oregon State with four turnovers, mm. and you're not gonna win. Was it four to zero both games too? Yeah, you're not gonna win any many games where you got a negative four turnover <laughs> differential. So yeah, Utah looked impressive. Um, Cam Rising looked a lot better in this game um, than he did, has in a couple of the earlier games. So uh, yeah, Utah's offense looked good. Oregon State, not so much. Absolutely. Uh, next up. Bama versus Arkansas. Bama goes up 28-0. I text you where I was like, what What are you doing, Matt Green? What, why do you keep talking yourself into fun Bama? Nick Saban has lost to Arkansas. Let me check my notes here. Exactly zero times since he has been the head coach at the University of Alabama. Um, people wanted you to believe that Bama could go down to Arkansas here. Arkansas goes in a hole. And you mentioned that the storming comeback 
for Arkansas in the second half. Why, Matt Green, was there an avenue for a comeback in the second half for the Razorbacks? Did it happen to be a Bryce Young who exited this affair with a shoulder injury um, that opened the door for Mr. Milrow to come in and really just not inspire you with four of nine, 65 yards and a TD. Alabama had negative one yards in the third quarter. I just, people are going to make something of the Arkansas comeback. Bryce Young and company were absolutely obliterating uh, the hogs here. And I don't know, I make the case Matt Green for why you thought this was uh, a little bit more close or more intriguing than I am letting on here. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting game. Obviously, they jumped up on him 28-0. And if Bryce Young doesn't get hurt, they don't come back in this game. But they were playing very poorly, even by their standards in the first game, like or in the first half. Like the Receivers were just not making plays. K.J. Jefferson was missing throws. Like He was just not playing at the level we've seen him play. And obviously, Alabama has a part of that, of course, playing uh, great defense. But... You finally saw once some momentum started to go Arkansas's way, like KJ Jefferson finally started having some success on the ground. The receivers started making some difficult contested catches. Like that's what you have to make some plays. Like they weren't all easy. Like some of the drops or plays they didn't make, they might not be errors in a baseball uh, sense, but they're plays you got to make if you're gonna if you're gonna beat Alabama. Um, shout out to Sam Pittman for the the onside kick call. That was just that was a great call. Um, but uh, yeah, Arkansas, they, they also got beautiful they got, execution. Like that was, was one incredible. of the most seamless, easy. They made that look so easy. They deserve a lot of credit. That was the coolest onside kick I've ever seen. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so after, let me see here after Alabama, the turning point of this game was third and 15 with 14 minutes left in the, in the fourth quarter. That's when Arkansas was really had the most momentum they had. It was 28-23 at that point. They're about to get the ball back. And then Milrow broke that 77-yard run, almost scored. And from that point on, they just couldn't stop Alabama again. So before that, so to start this, the, the second half, they had run 12 plays until that point, that third and 15. They had run 12 plays for negative six yards in the second half. And after that play, they had 12 plays for 244 yards and three touchdowns. They had the one yard or the one play drive where Gibbs went 75 yards. And then I think, what, did Gibbs go 72 yards on like the next one? Mm -hmm. Like they just big play after big play, even in the first half that uh, Kobe Prentice had that 80, like 70 yard slant that he took to the house. Or I mean, it may have only been like 50 or 60, but just big play after big play. Like you just, if, if, if you're going to be this, this three, three, five that Arkansas always hypes up and play in like eight in coverage and everything like that. Like the whole reason you do that is to prevent big plays. If you're not able to prevent play, big plays and you're just going to let the other team run all over you, which is basically what Alabama was doing in the first half. Like, I mean, in, and in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter with Gibbs. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, over 300 yards on the ground, like you're just not going to be able to beat Alabama. You have to make Alabama be one dimensional, and they can win a lot of games being one-dimensional because of such dynamic play from their quarterback. But if they're able to actually gash you on the run, uh, there's there's no chance in this one. But Arkansas did have this at five points in the fourth quarter. I think Tennessee, 
last year was beating their chest for having like a one score game with Alabama to start the fourth quarter. So even though they ended up losing by like 21 points, right? Or it was like 28, right? I think it got up to 28. Well, different. It was on the road for one. Number two, Bryce Young played the entirety of this game. Um, no, that Bryce Young, and I think that's the biggest story, obviously, from this mm-hmm. game. If if he's out for a, a long period of time, Milrow is clearly a dynamic runner, but if 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 he has to pass the ball, you know, we'll see. What they they got some difficult games coming up, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how big of an impact. And have you heard anything on Bryce Young? I haven't really heard anything. I think he's gonna play. I don't think it was serious. I think he's gonna be fine. Um, so I think he's gonna be playing because uh, this is a tough stretch for them. I think they got AM this weekend. Uh, so A&M's desperate, uh, and they did knock him off last year. So you're going to want Bryce Young in that one, especially based on what we saw from Milrow. Maybe we get Ty Simpson, the Tennessee legend five-star. Maybe he gets an opportunity if he so can't that's, go. And that's the second Saturday of October next week. Is there a, mm. is there a big game the week after that for Alabama? People is, are would, saying, would that uh, be but we'll see. Third we'll, Saturday of October. Let's just get through LSU because I, I'm going to shock some people with my LSU Tennessee pick on Wednesday based on where I'm leaning right now. I might I might stun some people. It's mm. we still got some time. Still <clears throat> got some time, but right now I'm not uh I, I'm not gonna tip my, my hand a little too much here. Um I think you already did, but that's fine. <laughs> uh Oklahoma State Baylor, uh Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders, four wins away now from breaking Mason Rudolph's school wins record. Uh this from a very good Oklahoma State blog, Pistols Firing said, quote The Cowboys took a 16-3 lead into halftime, holding the Bears to their lowest first half in Waco since the Cowboys' 2019 win. The Cowboys get it done, man. Uh, They uh, take care of the Baylor Bears and get their revenge on the road against the the neon lighter uh, colored uniforms for the Bears in this one. What did you make of it? This is the other uh, uniform flag on the day. All white versus all yellow. Um, mm. Shout out to our colorblind people out there, like my like my dear mother. I'm um, colorblind. Did you did you have a problem watching this game? All no, white versus it, all yellow. It wasn't that bad. No, I felt like obviously I'm not colorblind, so I I didn't have a problem with it. Especially their their yellow does. It seemed like a golder yellow, like not super mm. bright, maybe West Virginia kind of yellow, but um. Yeah, according to my mom, both of these teams looked white, so I, I felt for uh, on that. The one. bigger issue is like when they did the color rush. So like when they did Bills Jets like five years ago, that Thursday night. Do you remember when they used to do the color rush every Thursday? Yeah. In the NFL. Well, they did red green uh, one week and didn't ah. realize that that one I legitimately could not tell the difference with numbers and players and things like that. So that is one for colorblind people, and I really am diagnosed colorblind. My grandfather had it and passed down from. The grandfather has a daughter. They can pass it. It's a whole thing. But yeah, I'm <laughs> navy blue, like navy blue and black and purple all look that. It's it's very close. It's hard to do socks is what I found is the, mm. the most difficult part of it is matching socks is a nightmare sometimes. Well, uh, I feel for you, man. In a um, suit. I did a black suit one time and I thought it was brown, uh, navy blue and I wore like brown shoes with a black suit. And they were like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's blue. And they're like, nope, very black. Ah, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun game. Um, both teams just m- big plays, turnovers. You just you had everything in this game. Comebacks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kickoff returns. This was a wild one. But um, disappointed in my Baylor Bears. I thought they were uh, separating themselves as the best team in the Big Twelve. 
got this big time game. Oklahoma State's a really good team, but you got it at home this year. I felt like this was a, a, a win you needed to get, but um, this is huge for Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders only threw one interception uh, against Baylor, bounced back from his two performances last year. I thought he played well in this one. Um, yeah, I think uh, Oklahoma State, like you said, the, the, the power rankings right now, if you will, in the Big 12, they might be right there at the top. Absolutely. Um, Oklahoma State's a very good team. I think they're the best team in the Big 12 if I had to put, uh, put my, uh, just my pick in the hat there. Um, Wake Forest beats Florida State uh, for back to, in back-to-back years now. My takeaway from this one, Matt Green, uh, Florida State's in trouble. Uh, their next two games at NC State, very motivated NC State, and then Clemson back-to-back at home. Uh, so the Knolls are going to be flirting at 500, methinks, uh, sooner rather than later. It's, uh, it's, Cap- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, Michael Pittman looked really good in this one. Uh, I like him a lot uh, for the Knolls. But Wake Forest, the difference with them this year, the defense is a little bit better. Brad Lambert's doing good work. Um, Wake Forest held the, the Knolls to under 400 total yards and just 112 yards on the ground. Um, big win for Wake on the road where uh, they – they just kept this good Florida, improving Florida State team in check. And now this was one the Knowles really needed. They really needed this final one before they went into <laughs> the best two teams in the ACC back-to-back. Um, but that's that's where they're at. What did you make of it? I think you're absolutely right. I think this Wake Forest defense uh, does look improved uh, from what they were a year ago. And I guess it's just, it's the millennial, it's the 90s kid in me. I just, I want to believe in Florida State, right? Like, I want to mm. believe Florida State's, that the LSU win is looking better and better week by week. Like, LSU might not be as bad as some thought. Um, so, I don't know. I just, I wanted to believe Florida State, and they, they let me down. Because I felt like Wake Forest was just in control of this game the whole way. Like, it, they only won by 10, but Florida State just never really threatened um this is a big time win go on the road at doke and get a win second straight year for the demon deacons yeah that's it's big time last big one uh the texas a&m aggies lose in a big one on the road in the true maroon bowl and the mississippi state bulldogs prove that they are the true maroon team in the southeastern <laughs> conference uh will rogers uh excellent once again Texas A&M was, found themselves in a 14-0 hole at halftime in this one. Obviously, a lot more scoring in the second half. But look, uh, Mississippi State, they're a very, very good football team. It was criminal. They were not ranked coming into this week. And they're now ranked. This is an extremely talented football program. And they're good, man. They showed, especially to A&M, you can have a really good defense and also have a fun electric offense. And AM just continues not to have that. And I mean, like I said, I think I said in the pod last week, AM has tipped their cap or tipped their hand. We know who they are offensively. You cannot change that midseason. You cannot revamp this whole just organizational structure and scheme in the middle of the year. This is who they are. And unfortunately, it's just an eight and four, nine and three team because they have enough talent and defensive personnel, but they just they're not that good. They're just fine. And that's not what you're paying Jimbo Fisher that amount of money to be. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion to just go eight and four either. Like this, mm. you can't, 
the SEC West is a bad place to struggle. And I, I at least felt some, I don't know, somewhat of confidence that they figured out the quarterback situation with Max Johnson. And now, now you're five games into a season and you really don't know who the quarterback is. Like that's, that's just a terrible spot to be in. Like you said, like, the SEC West schedule, like it's not getting easier. They got Alabama next week at South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, LSU. Like there's there's a lot of challenges still on that schedule. Like I don't know if I would count any of those wins as, you know, just automatic wins at any of those conference games the rest of the way. So I, we just have no idea what to expect with this offense week in and week out other than it's probably going to be pretty frustrating to watch. Like it's just – if. Yeah, the hot seat Jimbo talk. I I I've, I think we've talked about it before. I thought he had at least till twenty twenty three when we'd even get to that point. But man, it can get bad enough to where this actually becomes a thing, and it it feels like it's starting to become a thing. We're getting closer, and Paul Feinbaum was reporting, I believe, uh, at some point over the weekend that uh, the the vultures are maybe swirling about whether or not they're okaying uh, what would be. I think probably the highest buyout ever, right? If you were to move on from Jimbo this offseason, like, or even the middle of the year, it has to be the biggest buyout uh, in college football history if that's where they went. But my thing, what I would do is just go to Jimbo and be like, the offense can no longer be in your hands. Like, you just, you can't control it. You're going to be a CEO at Orgeron type coach, and we are going to go spend the money to bring in our Todd Monken or whoever. Like, you just, you cannot have your hands all over this offense anymore if you want to keep this job and not just take a bunch of money to go away that's the deal is we have to bring in somebody else and they get to run the offense they want to run get our jeff levy whoever it is but that has to be the the conversation i think yeah especially you look at miami and arkansas like those could have easily both been losses like 24 points is not a lot of points in college football especially not for a guy who's supposed to be an offensive guru and mm -hmm. this is the most 24 is the most they've scored in the last four weeks and they're they're somehow they're two and two in those games and not zero oh and four mm -hmm. but yeah it's um it's it's not good it's not looking good at all for jimbo not at all matt green so um that is all i've got from our pick em. was there any other games you wanted to hit before we wrap up here on a sunday night uh, no, I think the last one um, that I feel like was interesting to me was just LSU-Auburn. Um, mm. I, fe I felt like Auburn in the first half, it looked like they were kind of, you know, turning a corner with their passing game. But um, the offense, after going up 17-0, didn't score another point the entire rest of the game. So I don't even know what's happening at Auburn. Um, Connor O'Gara had this on Twitter about that. In Auburn's last eight second halves against power five competition it has been outscored 104 to 21. wow but if if the transitive property has taught us anything about mm -hmm. college football next week's matchup between georgia and auburn is going to be a good one uh they both beat what they beat missouri by three george beat missouri by four so uh who knows Sanford stadium georgia auburn could be uh, more competitive than uh than we were hoping a few weeks ago Georgia fans were hoping a few weeks ago, I should say. Entirely possible. 
Uh, for that guy down there in Decula, Georgia, Matt Green, find him on Twitter, college football expert Matt Green on Twitter at Matt underscore David underscore Green. Uh, follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. And as always, uh, hit that like button. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas podcast and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever we are there as are all of our shows here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, Matt Green, I will talk to you in a couple days. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.